didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hi, welcome to another edition of Didn't See It Coming. I'm Mark Stoiber. Now, as a lot of you already know, I started another company, and it's called Your Ultimate Speech. I write lots of speeches for people, and I give a lot of speeches every year, and I wanted to see if I could create a company that could create 100 speeches at the same time. So I busied myself with creating that business model, and it threw me into the deep end of the entire public speaking world. Uh, And I found out a lot of things about you know, how brands are evolving, how people at the heads of companies are evolving as the new brand uh, icons, and why public speaking is becoming increasingly important um, as an augment to and a substitute for uh, building brands. Now, of course, I I talk to everybody I can who is in this realm, and I dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and I find it fascinating. And I was introduced to someone a short while ago who was particularly interesting. He has built his entire career around being a public speaker, writing speeches for people, and writing tools for people who want to become public speakers. Now, he has been in this game for a while, and why I thought it would be extremely uh, good for him to be on the show was that he could take us through sort of the evolution of the importance of public speaking as a branding tool. His name is Hugh Culver. Hugh, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. All right. You're, you're articulating very well, so you're, you're a good public speaker. I like that. Um, I, give, me, give me a little bit of a background on Hugh Culver. Let's go, let's go back to the early days and, and what pulled you into this whole messy world called public speaking. Sure. So I actually started in adventure tourism, thanks to my oldest brother, and as a rafting guide. And after many years, you know, as a rafting guide and then getting involved with my own, uh, as a partner in my own adventure travel companies, uh, people wanted to know how we did it. So they wanted to know, how did you start the first flights to the South Pole? How did you, you know, rent a ship and sail across the Drake Passage? And, and so I started in the tourism industry, helping people with their marketing. And it just seemed to be a natural fit. I was in graduate school, and there was a venue there that I could use. And then what evolved was, like a lot of speakers, I just did what came most naturally to me. And so because I'm an outdoors guy, I started doing corporate retreats. So lo and behold, the next thing I'm doing is I'm using, you know, inner tubes and ropes and, you know, using all these team building games and... Oh, no, you're one of those guys who had people falling backwards. Right. Oh, right. no, we can, we can blame you for that? Exactly. So for many years, I was off in the woods with these wonderful corporate groups. And then what? Then I started to realize, well, that's, you know, really hard to build a business that way. So then I moved into seminars. And so then I was doing a lot of self-employment training. And so like a lot of speakers, I sort of went where the work was. And then six years ago, I realized I really have a heart for helping other speakers and that I'd also learned a lot about the industry and how to make money in the industry. And so I started to experiment with running my own conferences for speakers and putting on boot camps for speakers, then that's evolved into what I now call the business of speaking school. And I decided also, Mark, that uh, because I've been in the game for so long that I wanted to do everything on my terms. And Mm. so business of speaking school only runs once a year. And we've done two years now, and we're going to do two more years, and then that's it. That's so it. Then you're going to go back to renting ships to south, uh, south exactly. uh, the Antarctic. Yeah. So I decided, why not? I'm going to say I'm going to run it four times. And so next year, it'll be 2017 in March and April. And 
So I have other aspects to my business. We also have a really unique uh, social media service for bloggers around the world. SOS. SOS, right. So we have a team of seven wonderful women that work for the, on that business. And yeah, so I guess it's been now 24 years since I first started in the speaking business. And it's been, you know, it's been, it's been a very entrepreneurial journey, journey, Mm -hmm. but it's also been a really remarkable journey. I've got had a chance to be on lots of different stages and also to work with some pretty remarkable people. Now, the, the, the speaker that you work with 24 years ago, how is he or she different than the speaker you work with now? Right. Great question. Well, I think it would be safe to say that 24 years ago, we were all thinking about Jim Rowan and, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar and, you know, people that were more orators, sort of of the Kennedy Churchill uh, ilk. And that was the style that was in vogue. And so speaker bureaus and event planners were looking for people that could get up on stage and just captivate an audience for 60 minutes. Zig Ziglar uh, was incredible. I mean, yes. I, I downloaded his stuff and, and you go, I could never be that good. He was awesome. Yeah, and, and and you know then then we got the educators that came on board. So we got the Jim Collins and the and the Stephen Covey, of course, and people that were academics that could also turn a speech. And then what I think started to happen was that um, speakers started to realize that audiences couldn't retain it. Um, And so they had to become more inventive with what they did on the stage. And so, you know, back then, Mark, there was this clear division. There was the entertainers, there was the educators, and they were separate. And so the, the entertainers, they had free license to juggle and you know ride motorcycles and unicycles. But the educators, no, 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 they were there to educate. And so it was very serious, full of content. Maybe they had PowerPoint going, maybe a few props. And then we started to see a blending. And we started to see people bringing entertainment into the education. And even in a small way, you know, so Stephen Covey would have someone come on stage and they would do like a little exercise together so he could teach them all about, you know, um, rocks, pebbles and sand or something like that. Or, um, you know, maybe there was like a little video that they would play so that would get people laughing. And so we started to see that blending. And I think it, um, it, it, it made sense because, you know, if we think about like so Ebenhaus's learning curve or forgetting curve, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, we all know that within about nine hours, we've forgotten 60 percent of whatever we heard. So it made sense. And, and now I see it's firmly in place. And so when a speaker bureau or an event planner is talking to me about their upcoming event, what they really want to know is what are you going to do to help people to actually take action? So we're not. It's great that you're a good performer or a good educator or a good presenter, but what will they be doing 30 days from now that's actually going to be different? How are you going to make that happen? Mm -hmm. Now, the personal brand. Uh, back, back when I started in advertising before electricity, uh, there was no such thing as a personal brand. You know, we all joined large corporations and we put Tony the Tiger in front of us or Mr. Clean or the man from Glad and they were the icon of our company and we all got to go to work, as the movie title said, in our gray flannel suit, the man in the gray flannel suit, and we were faceless and we were protected behind this icon. And more and more, I think with the rise of the internet, what we've seen is the icon fall away, people wanting to poke around in the company and see if this was really, if Enron really was a good company. Mm-hmm. And I think with the internet, we felt not only enabled to do it, but um, justified and obligated to do it. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to meet the real people. 
and we want to uh, we want to find out if these were good people running the company, and we would buy their product based on if they were good people or not good people, and we started to see the rise of the personal brand. Right. And, and how did that, the personal brand, because, you know, a, a brand is all about, you have to be simple enough. You just talked about retention. It has to be simple yeah. enough that everybody can understand it. It has to be captivating enough that everybody wants to know more. And it has to be compelling enough that people want to act. You just talked about that. Right. Uh, has there been a whole sort of school of training speakers that, you know, it has to be simple, yeah. entertaining, compelling, pull them in. You have to give them something to walk away with, just like building a personal brand. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a great question. It, it, I mean, when I got into the business, a lot of speakers had a company name as a small example. So my company is called Marathon Communications. And I think what people started to realize was if I'm going to be successful as a speaker, well, I need to have a book. I Maybe I want to have a retreat that happens a couple times a year. Maybe I want to have learning content that I want to sell so that I can actually go deeper in the organization. So I want to have other trainers, you know, and, and the reality is that the first point of contact was you. Mm-hmm. It's not the company. So the first point of contact as a speaker probably was you were invited to get on stage. And so it only made sense that that's what they're going to remember. And so we started to see then people putting their name and their URLs for their website and uh, branding content with their picture on the content. So the handouts have the picture of the the expert on the content. And so I think it started to evolve where now some of the biggest online uh, speaker brands, actually, they're, like the name of their website is them. There yeah. is no real company name. If you scroll down, maybe there's a company under that. And what they, it's, but it's more than just a URL. It's, it's they, they incorporate their brand into everything they do, whether it's a podcast or it's an online course, or even in fact, when they're doing, you know, some of my colleagues do very in-depth uh, learning programs that go on for many years in healthcare, for example, or insurance or in banking. Um, that expert's brand is actually all over it. Right. You know, think of, for example, Franklin Covey. Well, so the names of Franklin and Covey are still actually a big part of the brand, you know, and so, um, and they know that works because that's how people first came in contact with the content. Right. Now, so we go to Franklin Covey, I go to Steve Jobs, right? you know, uh, or Richard Branson, uh, even earlier, Richard Branson. Um, he goes out and he becomes a personal brand. And not only that, but he's a very dangerous personal brand. He's very charming and personable, but he's a bad boy too. But people who had been building up these safe brands with icons in front of them suddenly look at this rock and roll guy and uh, and he's you know he's rappelling down the sides of buildings and uh, and water skiing with naked girls on his back and they're going how can this work he's going to destroy the brand of virgin but he built the brand of virgin is right. this personality this larger than life personality the way of the future I look at Steve Jobs I look at Yvonne Schwinnard at Patagonia I look mm-hmm. at the, the the people even. The fellow from the Shaver Club who made that terrific viral commercial and now the, the, the shaving company is worth, you know, a billion dollars for disposable shavers. And it's the, the CEO who's doing the talking. And right. is this the way of the future? Do you have to be – you remember back in the days when radio uh, allowed you to be ugly if you were in a band? Yeah. And, and then uh, video destroyed all that. Is the, the charming, personable CEO the way of the future? Yeah, it's great. I don't know. I, I mean, I really don't have a definitive answer. I would say that 
um, probably for Richard Branson, uh, that's the only way he could have done it mm-hmm. because uh, he's not going to be sitting behind a desk. So and maybe it's who he, he is. is. It's just you know, who yeah. he is. And so maybe he was the one that came up with this idea of let's really make this a big part of the brand or um, certainly now they have a whole team that keeps him visible and, and makes a big deal of everything he does. But I do think there's something around trust that's in the answer, and that is that consumers, at the end of the day, um, are going to trust a person more than they trust a brand because there's a natural suspicion around anything like a company brand. So, for example, when Steve Jobs gets up on stage every year or when he used to get up on stage and say, this is an unbelievable, we believed him. Mm-hmm. believed him. Whereas if it was his president, which I know they tried, we don't believe him as much because we think, well, you're kind of like the paid guy to do it, right? Yeah. So I think it's almost, Mark, it's a sense that they're doing it because they want to, not because it's their job. It's, it's who they are. Right. It's who they are. And so if it's congruent with the quality of the product, I think then that it can work. Um, I think where it gets dangerous is when it's either it's like a fake, they're trying to do something because they think it's going to work and it's not who they are, right. um, or it's not congruent with what the product has anything to do with. Like, really? Like, you know, I think Dollar Shave Club was totally bizarrely unique. Like, why would why would you have a goofy, you know, it was brilliant, but why would you have a goofy message around something like Razors when you think about Remington and all these other companies that tried to build a brand? And yet... I think we trusted that more than if they come out and said, we got great razors. Yeah. We trusted it more because even though it wasn't congruent, the goofiness with the product, but I think we trusted that personality more than if they just tried to tell us they had one more great razor. So I, I, this guy right? too, I think the, the, the thing that he captured was you're sick of paying nothing for a, ha- a handle and then paying a fortune for these stupid little blades. Right. Right. You're sick of it. I'm sick of it. We all know it's a scam. It's like printer ink. I am the guy who's going to tear down that wall. I'm, I'm, what is that called? Radically honest about it with a sense right. of humor. Right. And everybody goes, yeah. So he knew how to hit that one insight and hit it really hard. And it turned him into a celebrity. And he, he was a great speaker and he was funny. And, you know, so he hurt everybody without actually hurting any feelings. Right. It's good. And I think that, you know, a speaker, coming back to the speaking industry, a speaker can build off of that by being, for example, a contrarian. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, I'm working with a speaker right now, and, and her, not her brand necessarily, but her position is going to be work-life balance is dead. So it's something that we've all known, but she wants to really emphasize on it because it's going to make her distinct. So whereas the corporation says, oh, yeah, we'd love to really increase productivity, but let's make sure that people know we care about their life. And she's saying, well, no, that's dead. We have to rethink all of that. Or Scott Stratton with his unmarketing. So his mm-hmm. entire brand very successful brand is built on the fact that you know traditional marketing doesn't work and that you need to be more personable and social and a lot of things that we're talking about. And so I think that in a kind of a oddball way, you can actually develop trust by being a contrarian because yeah. you think, oh, well, gosh, I, that for you to be brave enough to take on that position, this must really be the truth. I I work with a, a lot of startups because um, I, I believe the first off working in tech like I do a lot, uh, the guys who start the startups are usually engineers, and so they're not the sort of people who jump up in front of a crowd. However, they're also when you're in startup land, if you're running a good startup, it is a sort of a, a dollar shave club where you're going 
I see a huge gaping hole in the market. Right. I'm going to fill it. I'm going to build this thing fast. I'm going to get investor dollar. I'm going to scale like crazy. And so there are a lot of contrarians in there. You know, yeah. there's a lot. And, and I'm wondering, uh, does an engineer who is working in tech have to pay a lot of attention to his or her public persona now? Because everybody is the face of the company. None of them create Tony the Tigers anymore, you know? So they're, they're going to be called out in the public eye. And if they stumble and fumble... Or is that even important? Can they stumble and fumble? I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, be yourself. And if you're a stumbler and fumbler and you don't really know how to talk, like Yvonne Schwinnard isn't a particularly good talker. That's fine. What do you think about that? Work for him. Work great. Work Create a great yeah. product and then worry about your personality. Or get your personality out there. It'll help you sell your product. What do you think? Yeah, you know, and then you can look at Chip Wilson from Lululemon, right? Yeah, he's so, fam- he's a famously smooth speaker who says 180 degrees the wrong thing, right? It, yeah, he just says the wrong thing all the time, right? Yeah, and so, um, you know, uh, I, I I think I think that as we move forward, we are going to see you know people trusting the personality or not trusting the personality. That's what they're that's what's going to happen. We're gonna we're gonna look for the person behind the brand, and maybe Steve Jobs was one of the first people. You know, Elon Musk is another great example. Mm-hmm. Where they say, "Look, I'm building a billion-dollar business, but I actually am going to be the name behind it." And so I think there's this sense, Mark, that um, if they're willing to stand behind it, we trust it more. And I think that whether you take on the contrarian view or you say, "Look, I'm just promoting something that I absolutely love," and you can look at my enthusiasm, and from that you can tell it's true. I think it's it's going to work better than saying we now have a new car, just like every you know, it's just that we're different from every other car. So I think it works, and I think it's just simply human nature. You know, we're designed to look someone in the eye and say, "I trust you. I don't trust you." And so, um, whether you think uh, you know you are a kind of quote personality, and the worst thing to do, I think, by the way, is to compare yourself to Elon Musk or all these other people who have a natural gift of being with people or being in front of people. I think, um, but whether you think you're a personality naturally or not, you should do it. Like you should be front and center. Whether it is you're an engineer thinking about your future career, you know you should have a decent LinkedIn profile that actually brings out your personality. Because right. at the end of the day, that's what that's what we're paying for. So the, the 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 man in the gray flannel suit, I think, is going away. The faceless yeah. person working in the corporation, pulling the strings but being invisible. I think that person is going away. The internet has chased him out of the shadows. Yeah, and I think, you know, the world that you came from, the ad agency world and marketing world, you know, it's still personalities, right? It's personalities, whether it's the big, you know, the big ad agencies of the world or not, there's still a personality that is yeah. front and center, right? They, right? they may be in their 70s now, but they're still the one that, you know, Well, right? I mean, they made a, they made a long-running TV show about it. I knew that, I, you know, right. it's funny. Uh, I, I, I didn't know the Don Drapers of the world, but I worked for I worked mm. for them when they were just heading out of the tail end of the business. You know, they were in their glory in the 60s and 70s, and a lot of them, the youngest ones, uh, were still around in the 80s when I got started. And so I met some of these guys, I heard some of the stories, and I just, I, I bemoaned the fact that I totally missed out on the glory days, because these guys right. were larger than life, and they'd been replaced by these horrible things we called holding companies. You know, the bean counters had taken over, they had chased the personality out of most of the agencies. They would start right. up, be a little successful, get eaten by the monster, personality would go away. We would put a poster of a dead guy up on the in the foyer of the office, you know, and... Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, I think I think the, the way of the future is, uh, you know, we see a lot of companies now that have these incredible social tools, so that they can actually communicate with their audience in a way that only ad agencies used to. Yes. Uh, we've democratized design. We've democratized uh, television production. We've democratized getting your message out. That means anybody can do it for virtually nothing, which means that you and I can go out and talk to other people and have our message go to thousands of people, something that only ad agencies could have done 20, 30 years ago. Very good. And so what the danger that comes along with that is, let's say I am getting into the speaking business and I say, well, I better have a website and I guess I better have a video and I guess I better have a blog. The danger that I think comes goes along with that is um, you haven't really decided what that brand is. You haven't really decided... Uh, and I'm guilty of this, you know, many times over my career is you haven't really decided what do you want to be remembered for. And given that people have such a small, tiny memory capacity, mm -hmm. you know, it has to be really clear. And so, uh, you know, if you are a, a family expert or a productivity expert or a conflict resolution expert, then the trick is to uh, help people to get that quickly and hang on to it. And so anytime we see an inconsistency, it distracts us from being able to hang on to that single core representation of what you are, right? Now, right. Richard Branson and those guys, they're anomalies. I mean, he has 50 companies, and yet he's still the brand of all of them. So that's that's unusual, or he's the brand of most of them. But for, if you're a speaker, you know, generally speaking, the best thing for you to do is either go narrow on your industry or narrow on your topic or both. Right. And so if you go narrow on your topic, which is usually the safest way to go, in other words, I am a time management expert, but I'll speak to anybody, then you need to figure out, okay, how can I consistently project an image that makes sense as a time management expert? Right. See, I've, I've heard I've heard this. I've heard uh, a lot of people say, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you do in your project. If you totally shift gears and do stuff all over the map, you're the glue that holds everything together. And while I think to a degree that's true, everything will have right. your personality in it. But if you, I see you building lawnmowers today and airplanes tomorrow, uh, I'm going to go, what's up? There does have to be right. some consistency. You do have to understand what you stand for. And I think that's hard for people. Right. That, yeah. that uh, you're standing up on stage one day in a Hawaiian shirt and the next day in a gray suit and people go, are, you know, are you going through a midlife crisis or? Right. Yeah. You... So, for example, with our SOS service. So two years ago, we started this service. It's a really great idea where we can do social media for five dollars a day for anybody in the world. And we use a local team. They're all Canadians. Mm -hmm. so, and, and it's a fantastic service. But it was on my website. And so it's incongruent. It doesn't make any sense. I'm a productivity speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, so then we had to put that on a separate website. And so, uh, you know, as I uh, develop other things I want to do, I got to be careful that they don't end up just simply confusing people. Yeah. And, right. And so I think coming back to speakers, it, you know, it, it's almost like I usually recommend don't worry about it right away, but eventually, as quick as you can, get down to a narrow topic or a narrow industry and then stick with it and explore it as widely as you can. But the worst thing to do is to stay broad, is to, is to confuse the market and say, which is how I started. Oh, I'll speak on stress management. I'll speak on conflict resolution. Oh, you want me to do team building? I love team building. Hey, leadership? I was a leader. I'll be a leader. And so... It works in little bits and spurts and starts. You get one contract, you get another contract, but you, you can't scale it. Yeah. 
because the consumer can't remember. It's you know one of the tests is can someone that meets you be able to clearly explain you to somebody else? Well, the only way they can do that is if they got a really clear idea in the first place. That's it's a very humbling moment I find. Um, you know when I when I work on the brands of companies and the first thing I do is go outside to their clients if they have clients and say so what is it about these guys? And right. it, it, generally what the clients come back with is simpler and different from what the founders think. So the founders are thinking that they've created an incredible whiz-bang piece of technology that the world is going to know about because it's so darn cool. And the clients are going, you know, it makes me look better. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all they remember. And you have to impress that, that that's all people care about. So give it to them. And they're going, but, 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 what about the other 97 buttons on the remote control? Right. Ignore it. Uh, I I found that really humbling, too. And I, I worked with a lot of people. Um, you know, working on their brands, working on their speeches. And the one thing somebody came back with, a psychologist actually I wrote a speech for, and he said, what you do is you use clarity and simplicity to show people how amazing their lives are. That's good. Wow. And I'm like, wow. Oh. Never, 25 years, never thought of it. Yeah. You know, That's it nice. took 25 years to figure that out. And it's hard, you know, to figure oh. out what that is that you do that, that is so amazing um, and get up and talk about it and format your your speaking career around that. But it's oh, it's pure gold really if you nail it. That's really good. Yeah, we yeah. did an experiment this week where uh, to again to explain SOS, which I can either explain in three minutes or I can take takes me an hour. So I created a text only video, and then I sent it around to people in Facebook to get their opinion. It's ninety second text only video where I voice over it, mm-hmm. and I said I'm not going to tell you anything, but this is does this does does this explain what we do? Does it make? Can you understand it, right? And it was great. So we got all this feedback now, and then we're going to go and create a real video. But that, you know, text-only video took me about two hours to make. And what I wanted was, in complete isolation, without any background noise, can this explain what we do? Right. Did it? And, uh, uh, more or less. So we still have some changes, <laughs> but, but more or less. So the general consensus was yes, uh, was yes, and now we need to tweak it some more. And what, where people got confused was they started to think, oh, that's the final product. And even though I told them it wasn't, right? So, oh, that, you know, here's how you can improve the video. I don't care. Yeah, use a different video. typeface. It's not the right. typeface. <laughs> right, right. Because if I get on the phone, Mark, you know, I can spend too long trying to explain something that's actually quite simple. And then it confuses the consumer. What I wanted was a 90-second message where they go, oh, I get it. And you either want it or you don't want it. And I think uh, for speakers... You know, let's say you're talking to an event planner and you're all excited and you're thinking, this is going to be amazing. I'll be able to pay my rent and whatever. And the event planner doesn't purchase from you. The problem is it's pretty hard to debrief that event planner. It's kind of awkward to phone them up and say, look, I just want to kind of go through where did I blow it? Um, So, but in fact, what you do need to do is you need to debrief that conversation in some way, whether you do it on your own or not. You need to figure out what is it in your messaging that didn't work? Because they were interested enough to contact you in the first place. That means you're like 60% there. So what is it that didn't take them to the last 20 or 30%? What is it that you said? And, and oftentimes it's because we talk too much. So we we throw in too much. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they're confused. And there's maybe there's too many options. Because, um, you know, the confused consumer doesn't buy. Or there's like tangents that scare them off. Like you say, oh, you know what? If we have enough time, I'll do this big game, 
right? Or, you know, whatever. And they think, oh, games. We hate oh, games. Oh, no. We hate games. These are engineers, you know. Um, or you, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's the obvious things, like you could sound nervous or whatever. But we need to figure out, okay, what is it about my messaging, my brand that didn't work? And then just simply improve it next time. Right. And, you know, that's one of the tricks with uh, the troubles with being a speaker is, you don't get daily opportunities to refine your messaging. You don't because, you know, most speakers, let's say they speak, a really busy speaker is going to speak over 60 times a year. Like that's really busy. So maybe you have, you know, 90 phone calls in a year that are actually with event planners. And if you think about those 60 speaking engagements, a lot of those are, are repeats, same client four times. So maybe you really only have 70 conversations. It's pretty hard to improve your your pitch if you're only talking to 70 people, right? So advice, what do I do? Uh, final question. Advice, yeah. what do I do? I want to I turn myself into the persona of my company. I want to yeah. put myself out there. I want to go out and do public speaking, but right. the phone just ain't ringing. Right. Uh, what do I do? Do I get on podcasts like these? Do I, what do I do? Well, I, uh, you can get on a podcast, but a podcast is good for generating maybe traffic to your website, but it's not going to generate speaking engagements. The thing that I recommend, first of all, is do your homework and decide, okay, narrow topic, narrow industry, um, you know, get a clear message, get a clear idea of what your message is going to be, <clears throat> and then speak for free for about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody is near a city. Mm-hmm. So figure out what you're going to speak for free about. And then just go to your Lions Club, your Rotary Club, your Chambers of Commerce, your just speak for free. And uh, and you're not going to make any money, but what you're going to do is you're going to get better. You're going to get be your hum- game. And be, at, right, and be humble enough to throw away what you did last time. And you can say, okay, that just didn't work. Like that, that moment was dead in the, in the program or that didn't resonate. And, um, and first of all, what's going to start to happen is people will actually start to invite you to come in and speak for a fee. But then you can start to get serious because you've got some cred behind you. You've got some. You've got a longer list of uh, happy clients. You've got testimonials. You've got some video, and so now you're ready to go. But you know, people think that they can start getting paid the big bucks and have all that stuff thrown at them in the first year. And really, it's it's a long term. It's a long game, you know, because uh, successful speakers get paid an awful lot for the work that they do and they earn it. Like they've usually been in the trenches, like most people in the music industry, by the time you see them on, you know, iTunes or whatever, Mm -hmm. right. They've already got 10 years behind them. Mm -hmm. But so, so earn, earn, earn the rights to get the right to get paid, but also be humble enough to, continually improve and like a, a working on a brand it's continually crafting the brand message too, right. so that it becomes simple enough compelling enough and captivating enough and that people pick it up right away they like it and then you can hold them for 30 minutes and they actually remember it the next day yeah that's really good and the one thing i would add mark i i, I really i recommend for every speaker and sometimes they don't like to hear it is you got to write too i mean i think that people that are writers become better speakers because you help to craft your message you help to develop arguments you get feedback from people Um, you also start to get content that you can then turn into workbooks or books um, or videos and so i think writing reading and writing really help to make you a a better speaker even though it doesn't seem to make you know it sounds counterintuitive like how could that relate but when you get up on stage and you have to in the moment craft an argument or tell a story you're much much better at doing it because you've been writing continually Awesome. 
I want to get a hold of you, Hugh Culver. I want to sign up for your speaker's school or SOS, social media. How do I do it? Well, the easiest thing is go to my website. So my brand. Your so name. To, that's right. It's so not Acme. Culver. It's not Acme speaking. Acme speaking. Triple A. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Hugh Culver, H-U-G-H-C-U-L-V-E-R.com. You'll find me there. Thank you so much for the insight. My, my pleasure, Mark. This was fun. All right. See you up on stage. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-E.